0: Welcome to Stock in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your co-host, Tan, and I'm joined as always by Carl. Hey, Carl, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing okay.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. We took a week off, feeling well-rested. You had a work trip. I had a uh, stay-at-home week. It was great. So, <laughs>
0: ready to get back at it. That's how are good. you? I don't know. I don't know how I didn't show more of my emotion, because I think the listener should know that right before we started recording, I discovered this screen continuity feature that Apple has, <laughs> where if you have two computers that you own next to each other, without doing anything, without setting it up, without telling it that they're yours, and you move a mouse from one to the other, the mouse moves as if it was an actual connected display, and it blew my mind. And I was so excited, and I guess I'm trying to bring the excitement down, but I'm going to try to keep it up. I'm going to try yes. to keep it all the way bring that energy it's all about smizing
1: right except nobody can see our eyes or our faces while we're doing this but they can hear us smiling that's what's important exactly he's gonna transfer time time and space Uh, just just don't keep playing with it because you're gonna reach the point where the feature just stops working randomly because (laughs) it does that like most apple services so i don't want to hear you get
0: angry as long as it doesn't change where i'm recording to to the other computer that is not recording i think we should be we should be pretty okay on, on that note, you and I
1: have been ending every single episode on a downbeat for the last few months. So let's try not to do that. Also, in the spirit of that, we're not going to talk about Tucker Carlson maybe having a production deal with Twitter and Elon. <sighs> Thank I mean, you. we could, Please. but I, no. I don't really want
0: to. <laughs> no, I think we were also joking that during the last Twitter, Twitter two weeks ago, I realized that most of my. Most of my additions to the Twitter Twitter is coming up with noises or reactionals, just going, Ugh, ah uh, uh. So I'd rather not be kind of a sound producer in this in this scenario. Let them do what they wanna do, let them eat cake.
1: I had to edit quite a bit of those noises out last week for the record.
0: Why? They're meant to be uh addition they communicate. I actually didn't feelings. edit them out at all. I'm kidding. Oh, but perfect, I, perfect. Did,
1: perfect. I did I just have to do something where you know, here's some Inside the the magic factory stuff here where we both edit. We both edit on, we edit ourselves here. We swap off each week who's editing and H on and I, since we're not recording in person, we always record our own track and then we merge them. We don't do any sort of like clicking or clapping. We tried that early on. We just literally can know based on pauses who's doing what. Sometimes though, early on in the recording, in the editing process, it's a game of syncing up little yes. uh-huhs. Yeah, tell me more. Uh, that sort of thing. <laughs> Try to get it in between the breaks. So sometimes, yes, I will cut out interjections for both of us because I can't make it work. Or what I'll really do is I'll just keep moving things around.
0: I get it. I think part of the... Maybe to make it more natural, that just happens. It does. And I love it when we
1: record in person or have two people on one side or something when we have a guest and we can't do that. It does make it a little bit more natural, but it is fun. I mean, it's also, it it means that I can't add all of your
0: wows, tell me mores that you always (laughs) do to make myself sound smarter. Exactly. I feel like in one of these, you're going to take all of those and you're going to stitch them together and you're just going to make a collage of me saying that or me making noises. But, I mean, speaking of inevitable, I guess, I guess inevitable is something that Thanos actually says, but I was going to say, right, I was going to say, what Marvel character to be, is that? Yeah. Well, Marvel seems to be inevitable because, um, I went to see, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 this weekend. <laughs> the first thing that was funny, I don't know if you've seen, are you, do you still watch like TV? Like, do you get like TV commercials in your life? Oh,
1: uh... Once in a blue moon, like I when I watched Poker Face on Peacock, we have ad supported Peacock, so I'll do that. But
0: okay. no, I I do not. Well, you know how it's still a... well, it was a thing, but it's still a thing how movies when they release they add like these one liners from like random news outlets that have reviewed it. Right. And they trade yes. pick. Guardians of the Galaxy has this one that it's it says the burst the best Marvel movie. Since Avengers Endgame, and I feel like it's such a good kind of uh, summary of where things have been and how much they've suffered. But I I, I landed there. I think it's the best Marvel movie since Endgame. Uh, where do you land on Guardians? Let's
1: let's start I hate, there. I hate them. Why? I just I now. Nah.
0: You hate fun, you me. hate fun. You hate 80s music. You hate colors. You hate James Gone, All of the above. You hate uh, like Ariela anthropomorphic animals that speak and get tortured. I mean, but you you haven't watched the third one, so you don't know what happens. Uh, I I, I, like I do know what
1: happens, but yes, I uh,
0: now okay.
1: So for me, so I liked the Suicide Squad when I saw it. It wasn't my favorite but it was compelling undeniable like four and a half star movie to me liked it a lot uh i have not seen suicide squad which i hear like takes needle drops and turns them into i don't know torture but with that i don't mind the needle droppy thing of guardians of the galaxy I, i think the song choices are a little uninspired often though that said nothing is Less inspired than uh, Taika Waititi's use of sweet child of mine all over Thor Love and Thunder. What was that? Uh, yeah. Awful. Whatever. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just That just kind of washed over me. I think for me, really, it begins and ends with Star-Lord, which is also Chris Pratt as Star-Lord. <laughs> I also I love,
0: him... just in the story of Guardians of the Galaxy, it's so cool that you call him Star-Lord right? Because it's a thing in the movie that nobody actually calls him Star-Lord and people just call him Funny. Peter. <laughs> so it's, it's you saying that you don't like the movies and calling him Star-Lord has some sort of like... Totally. Anyway, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I do not think about Peter Quill? Quinn? Yes. Quill. Quill? Quill. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. I think there I just... is also a joke. You're very in brand. There is also a joke of somebody not knowing his name and calling him Peter Quinn. Yeah, you're very yeah, on just, brand. You can't say you're if you say this is not your type of humor. You're doing exactly what they do. See,
1: maybe maybe I just feel too mocked by James Gunn's mockery of people like me. You know, That's exactly. I'm too offended here. Yeah, you're feeling you're feeling the scream. I get it. Really, what it is is I just don't. I don't find the bickering of the Guardians endearing. Generally, where they're just kind of like snipping at each other, partially because I'm just not into like I don't like Peter Quill Quill yeah Quill. We, Quill we confirmed Quill like my Quill I don't like I don't like Amora I think she is I have seen Zoe Saldana give wonderful performances and wonderful mocap performances and this is neither of them it is a wet blanket of a character that is literally just used as I mean cannon fodder at some point in Avengers Endgame or no, Infinity, Infinity War. War. See, I get yes. these all mixed up, too. Yes, Infinity War. Another one I don't like, probably because it has too much Guardians in it. But really, I just find them annoying. That's the long and short of it. And because I find them annoying, I don't like the rest of the movie. Even though I do think, I mean, De Bautista is wonderful in them. I think Rocket Raccoon and Groot are fun. I like Palm What's-Her-Face. With the P- uh, antenna, po-
0: to- to-
1: yeah, Pom, whatever that character is, she's Mantis. cute. That's Mantis. fine. Mantis, yes. Also, yeah, I don't know. The first one, I mean, the first film has Elizabeth Debicki and, um, what's his face being real tall and hot, um, Lee Pace, oh, <laughs> has Elizabeth okay. Debicki and Lee Pace in it, and I get. I feel nothing towards them being on screen in that movie, you know? It's just, all in all, not into the movies, don't like the energy, but really it's just I find Peter Quill and his interactions with everyone deeply annoying. So Peter and I Quill?
0: No, yeah. I, I mean, listen, I get that. And part of the things that I haven't run by you in our text that I wanted to run by you live was I seen Saturday when I was like, hey, I saw this, I liked it, and you were like, oh, I don't like those. I was like, okay. I want to try to break down things a little bit more and see what I like about them. And of course, my first reaction ends up being like, I'm, re- I'm simple. I like having a fun time and I don't overread yeah. the things. But when I was thinking a little bit more about this one, a lot of it was, even if it's through very cheap tricks and the most basic versions of these things, it does kind of take the time and the space to build the characters a little bit. Like, it, yeah. it, it does feel like, you know, there is this thing that we've talked about of how Marvel or some of these movies shine where they care about the simple, they care about the relationship, they care about mm-hmm. this sort of thing, and they forget about the universe being at stake or whatever. Because that's at the level where you build these relationships with the characters. And with this one, I was like, okay, what is it? Is it that they take time for the conversations? Is it that they tell about the backstory? Is it that they whatever pull on their on the you know uh, feeling strings there is a saying that i'm forgetting they pull the strings. tug yes, on heart strings. exactly tug yes. on the heartstrings <laughs> they pull the feel strings it's very good english that's a great um, title pulling yeah, feel strings you. yeah pulling the feel strings um
1: it does sound like something that any number of guardians of the galaxy characters would say as a malapropism so on brand
0: thank you um and kind of when I landed, I, I stopped and I felt, you know, I felt proud of myself. Like, a hey, time you thought about movies and you broke it down a little bit more and you identify these things. And then actually I was like, no, wait. Like the last movie that I saw was Sandman Quantumania. And at this level, they still do that. They take a little bit of time of to do that. But I didn't even care about it. So I just wanted to ask you, is this just kind of movies 101 where timing and music and order and words really have to come together in a beautiful way. Is it truly that um, some people have it and know how to make better movies? Is it that it boils down to the human connections of like when you have a writer and a director and a cinematographer, they kind of have to be in each other's style so that that these things mesh together? Um, I know that's an incredibly broad question yeah. for you but curious from your perspective i
1: so truly i Different think the answer yeah i i think truly this is i don't like chris pratt in this role that's no no, no. that I, is enough to derail
0: the thing for me i know but it's and, not coming from that it's not coming from the perspective of you and you not liking them right i think it's yes. even from a. and wh- I, I say that because
1: okay let's compare James Gunn is a filmmaker to a filmmaker who works in a similar genre and a similar edgy tone, but like one that's less colorful. And that's Zack Snyder, somebody who has never seen a slow motion noodle, needle, drop that he didn't love. Right. Like that sure. is <laughs> they they have a similar bag of tricks in terms of the, their filmmaking in terms of the, the visual craft of it. Uh, I, Gunn likes to go gorier, splatterier, and more colorful than Snyder ever does. But I I respond to Snyder, and I respond to Gun in a lesser way in The Suicide Squad because of their earnestness. I think both of them do ultimately, despite being edgy filmmakers, or in Gunn's, film, Gunn's case, kind of sarcastic filmmakers... There is a very concrete emotional perspective that they, the, those two, film, two filmmakers are trying to push. And if you're locked into the characters, which admittedly, Gunn writes better characters and probably on their face better films than Snyder does. If you're in on those characters and you're in on what those characters are doing... It's really easy to hand wave and, and overlook a lot of the flaws and just be kind of swept up in it. And that's what I think a lot of people do get out of the Guardians films in terms of it is this sensory experience where like you are kind of using film to the mass, maximum effect here. And you're using this to, to tell this kind of grandiose emotional story. And just ultimately I can't care about the characters. But that said, I do see why people respond to this. And I do think it is because Gunn is a like he is an altruist filmmaker. He does have a specific brand that Disney has not managed to clamp down. And in fact, Disney lost out on because of, of how they treated him and the fact that he didn't get offered the CEO gig from JPEC, unlike uh, getting an offer to CEO gig at Warner Brothers. Basically.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I had a great time to this thing that I got home and I kind of put the first Guardians on the background and was not paying attention, but it's, it's, um, it was fun. Uh, I think this, I I think this one was the best one also because the backstory, I mean, you probably know what happens because you said but most of it is centered on the story of rocket and it adds a completely like level of actual backstory, right? Half the scenes are of him. When he was... Yeah. Young or whatever. um. But just funny... The next two movies that he's involved with... Do you know what they are? Without looking. So he has his, his Superman and... There is something before. He's not the director before but somewhere where he is a producer and he wrote the story for. Is it a DC... It is not DC. It is definitely as Warner Brothers as it gets. Okay. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Season 1. Think even more Warner Brothers, like original Warner Brothers. A Looney Tunes project? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, very good. Uh Uh-huh. All right, so I'm guessing it's not another space jam we're not doing that again no
0: it's a movie that I didn't know existed but the the, the stories by James gone and Jeremy's later uh I don't know Wiley Coy-
1: coyote and Re- yeah that just seems that seems coyote speedy.
0: coyote versus Acme what the hell is it movie what is this movie dawn of capitalism okay interesting I mean, After every Acme Corporation product backfires on Willie E. Coyote in his pursuit of the Roadrunner, he hires an equally unlucky human attorney to sue the company. When Willie E.'s lawyer finds out that his former law firm's intimidating boss is Acme's CEO's, he teams up with Willie E. to win the court case against him. The hell? What is... <laughs> the hell? That's great. <laughs> that That just
1: sounds like a... So I didn't see it. that pitch sounds like some like the Winnie the Pooh horror movie that happened the second that Winnie the Pooh ended up in the public domain that doesn't sound like a it's like a student film pitch. Okay. I mean, I said Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner purely because thinking back, okay. What is the I don't know, most misanthropic property <laughs> that Warner Brothers has that's old, right? And it's that or
0: Tom and Jerry, right? So you got it right. And it, it looks exactly like Tom and Jerry, by the way. It's a live-action animated hybrid. I mean, I did not see the Tom
1: and Jerry movie, but I don't think it oh, looks like that. I also the trailer.
0: Under. Right, except the trailer looks fine.
1: Okay, sure. interesting. Um, I can't wait to see Wile E. Coyote's intestines or whatever.
0: And um, John who- Cena. As the film's main antagonist, as the lawyer for Acme Corporation.
1: <laughs> okay, I mean I could see that working, and Cena was very good in Suicide Squad in a funny role, so okay, I, I don't you know, hate it.
0: Will Will Forte is Will E's lawyer. I love that throughout this Wikipedia article, they just call him Will E, you know, for his like middle name initial. Do you Anyways. know um, Do you know what
1: the Roadrunner's name is in French?
0: Roadrunner? That's incredibly insensitive by me. What I, is, is it now? It's a, his...
1: I mean, what I'm about to say sounds so much more offensive than what you just said, which is it's la beep beep. <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled B-I-P, <B-I-P-B-I-P>. B-I-P. <laughs> This is I, I heard this somewhere and I was like this cannot possibly be be true. And Alex and I, this was like three years ago, like deep in the pandemic, we spent hours on YouTube going <laughs> down beep beep. into like we we went down to rabbit holes and like I don't know French Funko Pop unboxing videos just to find out like okay is this actually what they call it? And yeah, it's just like this guy holding up a a Roadrunner Funko Pop and talking about le beep beep. And just, like, not <laughs> laughing at all with a serious face. So, yeah. Oh. And then we w- we watched some, like, I don't know, bad Looney Tunes video game that had Rotor right in it. And they kept referring to bit bit.
0: So, some people say bit bip but Le bip That's, That's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> Before moving from this one, I think this movie is probably going to be known in history because of this trivia fact. It was moved from its original release date for Barbie. So they held the July 21st release date, which is the same as Oppenheimer, and they were, you know, gently asked to get the hell out of the way so that Warner Brothers could release Barbie. That's a good trivia fact.
1: That is a good trivia fact. That does seem appropriate.
0: What if I told you 10 years ago, Carl, in 2023, a Greta Gerwig directed... Barbie movie moved a Willy Coyote versus Acme live action live action hybrid movie out of his release date.
1: I mean, one what do you think was looked... happening
0: with the with the world?
1: So so one, I just looked and it's like I had no idea who Credit Gerwig was before Francis Ha, and that was twenty twelve. So would have no idea who that is. No, it's twenty thirteen,
0: it's ten years ago. You do know,
1: kind of, maybe. Oh, okay, you said ten years ago. I thought In my brain, I heard 2010. I don't know. Whatever. 10 years ago, yes. Yeah. Everything is 2010. The last three years don't exist. Okay. Sure. Yes. Fine. Okay. So 10 years ago, Greta's gearing up to be in How I Met Your Dad, right? That's the the era of Greta's career at that point. Uh, It's that versus an incredibly antiquated property. I don't know. That sounds. does not sound like something that would be happening in, in any decade, much less this year. But all right. That's
0: funny. That's very funny. Anyway, let me know if you ever watch Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You probably won't. I probably won't. I don't even think I actually finished the second one, to be honest. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Why
0: are you apologizing to me? I don't know. Feel, I, don't, feel I don't hold you to the standard that I'm going to be mad at you.
1: It's you know, I just thing. like, Ariella, I don't watch Ariella, enough movies.
0: Ariela like... is a big fan of that way of thinking, which is like, if you start a book that you're not liking, don't freaking finish it. You start nope. a movie and it's not your cup of tea, cup of coffee. Rocks your boat, floats your boat. Just stop watching it.
1: I'm trying to be better about that. There you go. Okay. All right. Um, sh- shall we continue the uh, wow here? with Which is... I just saw Bo is Afraid again. That's kind of all I did this <laughs> weekend. <laughs> and I, we I only bring be. that up not because I want to get into it again. But I... So I've been having conversations about this movie with people. The timbre of the conversations is either people asking me, "Should I see that movie? Have you seen it?" or friends and family being like, "Hey, I saw Bo was afraid," and essentially the timbre of every conversation is exactly what I said on the last episode of, "Um, if you can stand Ari Aster's thing, if you're willing to sit with it, you should go see it. It's great. It's interesting." You'll probably get something out of it, but don't blame me if you hate it. And also there's a strong chance that you might not like it, Uh, especially if you don't already like have hit. He's not in your wheelhouse. So that said, I wanted to check it out again. Uh, It's one of those where I know like seeing it again will help crystallize it. Still not a perfect five star movie to me, but a pretty damn good four and a half star movie for me. And I saw it at a sold-out Alamo Drafthouse screening this weekend. It was a 2 p.m. matinee on a Saturday. So I'm here thinking, like, wow, good for, good for Ari Aster. He pulled it off. He managed to, to make a movie that a lot of people want to see. And turns out, nope, I just live in a bubble. I live in the Alamo Drafthouse-Austin, Texas film bubble because it made, what, $300,000 this weekend? Something terrible? <laughs> Yeah, $333,000 this weekend.
0: What's your over-under
1: of how many of those people were watching it for the second time? That's a great question. So, I would say maybe 70-30 new watches, re-watches. There is a joke in the opening studio logos or a reference to something that happens in the, the film later in terms of like one of the logos mattering. And there were a few people that like laughed in recognition upon seeing the logo and the studio logo so that was a good key of okay these left la- this laughter right here those are people that have seen this movie but quite a few people were i think genuinely reacting in sur- surprise to things and literally everybody around me was talking uh, afterwards of it was it was good buzz afterwards it's it's not one of these things where you see i don't know Jurassic World Dominion, and everyone wa- is walking out grumbling, like, Well, well that sucked. Yeah. You know, you just feel the energy, or like The Rise of Skywalker, like just these movies that are just like don't work, and people are walking out and just kind of like, raw, 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 raw. Whereas this, you could tell people were like, Well, that was weird, but like, I thought it was gonna be worse than that. I think it was gonna be harder to follow. Like, I was actually kind of into it. Like, heard multiple conversations like that. So, I did walk out of that movie thing. oh, it's got word of mouth on it. Good good for A24. But, yeah, no, it's at about, about six... And, yeah. It's about... at It's less than seven million in the box office right now. I will say <sighs> we were looking at the curve earlier. The curve is more of a line than, like, the Marvel hockey stick graph. But, yeah. Uh, A24 is going to take a little bit of a write down from this. But they can afford to. They had a great year last year.
0: Sounds also like a good movie to rewatch based on the some of the synopses that you shared about what it's for, right? Those yeah, Nathan it, Lane now seem more in place after knowing where he's coming from. Totally, yeah. I, I think everything about me watching
1: it, the, the one or two things that I didn't love about the movie, I still didn't love about it, but they made a little bit more sense this time around. And I think just the casting of the film just really shows itself to be a master stroke rewatching it. It just, the whole thing feels perfectly pitched throughout. And it really once you know what the gambit of the movie is. It's good. So yeah, uh, go see this movie if you can, because it looks like it's leaving theaters very quickly, but I'm glad I went and saw it again in the theater, Uh, but I don't think I'm going to do the uh, midsummer, see it four times in the theater before it leaves theater thing. Like I did. So very good. Okay, let's move off of the the wow. At this point, we've, we've been speaking a lot about writer directors, so <laughs> I guess that's my way of segueing into the writer strike. Yeah, I, I that was a terrible <laughs> that segue. That works. Yeah. No, that's okay. Even Not worse is we had to take a little quick production pause, and I had like a minute to think of that segue, and that was the <laughs> best I came up with. So, okay, here we are. So the writer strike. Last episode we basically showed her asses and said hey there's a writer strike maybe about to happen we'll talk about that next time and did not give any context for it. So one thing I really tried to do over the last week and a half is drill down and understand what is happening with the writer strike. So with that what what have you caught
0: up on with the writer strike Eitan? My biggest thing is that I really need to catch up with you because I I, I think I need a download. Because I think the the things that I'm probably seeing are the ones that are becoming the most public, but Mm -hmm. that are likely not at the center of things. Like they're flashy. So things like some of the, you know, there has been like this cycle of the writers asking for some protections about AI yep, and how their work can be kind of taken over and how the studios might be using some of these clauses as a way to bring leverage or like these types of things. but. It just doesn't sound like this is probably the one of those core of the issues. So yeah, very curious to hear from you what what you learned.
1: That is totally spot on. It is something where it those are the AI issues are great for headlines. I think it also just taps into a deep seated fear that a lot of Americans have right now about their white collar jobs anyway True. of is my job easily automatable? Like, is this a thing that I should be worried about? Especially as I sit here writing emails all day, like, could a computer do this a little better? You know? So that is something that is obviously very existentially scary for writers, especially like, uh, we just spoke about there being one Marvel movie in years that feels like there was some stamp on it that was creative, right? Like Mm -hmm. the writer's job is increasingly diminished. But moreover, I think there's a broader perspective that's not captured in a lot of that. The studios essentially are not agreeing to talk about AI at all. They're like, ah, we can set up some protections. We can set up a committee. We can talk about this at a later date. Don't worry about that. We're not going to do that to you. So they're not, they're not playing game. Like they're not playing ball with, with AI conversations at all, which I think is wise from their perspective, like, if you are especially one of these newer upstarts, like, you're really going to tell Apple they can't use procedurally generated scripts when, like, I mean, Apple's not the best at AI, but, like, that is a part of their bread and butter on devices at this point, right?
0: Like, yeah, it's also like, you know, the, the head of AI at Apple, at least until a couple of years ago, was this guy called, they called him JG, who yeah. was the head of search at Google. I'm like, this is also not the guy writing the scripts. Totally. <laughs> like, it, there is so much better use of AI. Like, there is these also people that are, like, conflating some of these things where, yeah.
1: And, and also, Apple's a perfect company to call out here because, like, um, Katie Cotton uh, just died. She was the head of PR at Apple during pretty much the entire job's tenure and most of Cook's tenure. And she built what we think of as Apple's PR engine right now, right? About keynotes and secrecy and having people, like... Your John Grubers that you trust, you like give little nuggets to, right? Like she created this culture of secrecy around Apple, where Apple is is very much a tech company, but they really do believe in the human element more than most companies. If you look internally and how their product decisions are made, it is this triumvirate of product engineering and marketing making all these That's decisions. True. In iterating on them. There's always that human component to it, right? So Apple's not who you need to worry worry about. You need to worry about... I mean, I would say you need to worry about your Netflixes, but I'm not really too scared of their AI and ambitions either. But you need to worry <laughs> about, actually, more the traditional studios that are just trying to save a buck where they can, right? Like, these people that are launching streaming services without having an idea of how they're going to make money, just because it's what everyone else is doing.
0: Really, the core also- issue... Here, yeah. Sorry, no, yeah, I think this is also a great segue of, like, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm going to go out on a limb here, but when I think of the budget of a movie, the freaking writer is not what's moving the needle. Like, if they can use AI to make visual effects 1% more efficient, they're going to save millions of dollars. Great. And and also, like, the crunch time
1: on effects is, like, one of the worst labor issues we have right now in the film world right like yes some of those jobs are going to disappear because of that but ultimately yeah and really the writing like the wga issues a lot of them have a lot more to do with tv right we Mm -hmm. something here that's that's really worth interrogating is where we're at as a culture versus the last prominent writer strike in 07 08 right so name some shows That were on TV at that era. 07,
0: 08. Wow. I think like my mind went straight into stuff that was probably on TV before. Um, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Uh, What's
1: the biggest show on television? Like it's still not Game of Thrones. No. I mean, it's The Office. Like it's. That oh, okay. Right? Parks like you've got Wreck. Late Season Office. You've got... I think Parks and Rec might be a little later. Later? I just Googled Parks okay. and Later. Um, Breaking Bad's first season came out, like, was a product of the writer's strike. That's why it was kind of weird and truncated. Okay, yeah, Parks and Rec was 2009. But it's
0: really, like, the fact that you... 30 w- Rock, my friend. The fact that you went right... That was your your thing, no? Oh, totally is. But oh, okay, sorry.
1: Really, you went straight to network, right? Like you went to the sure. network sitcoms of the era. It was like that's what's top of mind from that era of television. That's what like the flagship content is, right? Breaking Bad's coming out. Mad Men debuts that year too. Like you have the start of the AMC golden age.
0: Lost, Mad Men. Sure, sure, yep. sure.
1: But mostly it's it's more of a network game, right? You've got your Losts, you've got your Offices, right? This so, Housewives. Yeah, so yeah, these yeah, are AAC. shows that yeah. these are airing weekly. They're being produced more or less on the fly as they're being written, as most network shows are. You have a 22-episode yeah. order, typically, after a pilot. So it's these things that are not made... They're made just in time and released just in time and are really reactive and adaptive. But unfortunately, because of that, they're uniquely screwed by a writer's strike. If writers can't write in real time, you can't produce content in real time and can't make this. So that's why you see with the writer's strike, the first things going dark now are the late night shows. Like, sure, late night shows, SNL, like that's going to collapse. SNL is towards the end of the season, but like these, you just can't. Can't write you can't the tape. stuff that only gets produced that week, so that's the stuff that that's the first casualty. But in oh seven oh eight, so much of the the world's media, or not the world's media, of American television media was made in this just time,
0: just in time fashion. But now, is that the case? Not at all. Yeah. Right. Like either either stuff like Netflix that is being binge watched, that everything. Lance at the same time or these crazy streaming things that are probably stopped shooting a year ago and have been in post-production forever. I mean, beyond
1: that, like it's part of the streaming game is just waving something over here so people get distracted and don't realize that there's no new content, right? Like that, that God awful movie, the the snowman that, that nobody watched the, do you remember this? Do you remember what? this one? The yeah. uh, Mr., Mr. Policeman, I gave you all the clues that poster this is like a Twitter meme from like eight years ago at this point. Oh, no.
0: I'm uber blanking. I have oh. no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this is one of the this greatest. happening more and more that you really threw a humongous curveball at me.
1: Okay. It's 2017. Okay. I, I, again, time has yeah, bl- blended together. Still. But you haven't seen this poster before, like as a meme on Twitter. Oh, Yeah. Mr. Police, you could have saved her. I, I gave you all the clues. I guess I didn't even know there was a movie. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is a 2017 thriller movie that was poorly received. Real quick, let's stay on this for one second. I would like you to uh, read the lead character played by Michael
0: Fassbender's name. John Snowman. Oh, you're sharing your screen. Sorry. Yes. One sec. That's very small. Harry Hole. Yes. Detective Harry Hole
1: is looking for the the snowman. Yeah. So just... Fantastic. Just one of those movies that Film Twitter was like mocking. Anyway. Anyway, this movie dropped on Netflix last month and it has been on the top 10 of Netflix most watched movies. So that just goes to show that... People will literally watch anything that's put in front of them as brand new on Netflix because it's there, right? Yeah. So what does that mean for your power in terms of being a writer's guild that's trying to stop production to fight for better wages when you go from you're stopping just-in-time production to this, right? It completely diminishes it. And that's kind of at the root of this problem, as is AI. Like, this is all connected here, of raiders uniquely are treated as more disposable in the peak TV era. I mean, there's lots of films being made to a higher volume probably than at any other point in history as well. But to your point, a film, it's a lot less work to rate a film. I mean, I've never done either of these, but you're not generating hours upon hours of content. You typically have one or two people working on a, on a film draft at a time as opposed to in a massive writer's room trying to like crank through scripts and make sure that they're handed off to 20 different directors to get the thing made, right? So with that, there's all these interesting developments that have happened where uh, essentially writers are being treated more like gig workers. So you're typically paid a weekly or monthly rate with this, but the studios have tr- started clamping down and trying to make write these shows as quickly as possible. They've created these things called mini rooms where instead of a writer's room, which is where you're working with all the other writers on the show and owning scripts um, and working together for the entire season of production, essentially the studios will just hire you for two weeks to write all the, the episodes of a show and then like dump you. So that's good for the studios because they get their stuff quickly. It's bad for people trying to react and adjust things as, as they're learning about the content. And it's also bad for the writers who get paid for two weeks of work instead of getting paid for previously three months of work. So there's more demand for writers than at any, at any point before, but these writers are also impressive. treated yeah. as completely dis- yeah. disposable. So that's an issue. Um, there's an optics issue as well where like you will see headlines of oh, well, the average Hollywood writer's salary is $180,000 a year. Why are they striking? It's like, well, look at the median, not the average, right? Because you have your Ryan Murphys and Shonda Rhimes of the world who make millions and millions of dollars in an overall deal versus somebody who gets paid two grand for a a script rewrite, and that's their only writing job that year. Right? So it's really become this thing where freshman writers on new TV shows – like have to have second jobs to make ends meet now on a way that they might not have 10 years ago because it's not as cushy of a gig. And like, that's, you could argue, well, that's just how the economy works, but you could also argue, well, shouldn't we want people to like be able to do this for a living in order to keep making the things we like?
0: Very naive question. Yeah, this, this. just talks, of course, about the need of like how unions are so important in these types of things. And mm-hmm. does the, does the WGA exactly to your point, right? It seems like the studios are trending towards treating writers almost as a commodity, right? Completely yeah. interchangeable. I can find another down the street. And the WGA, you know, is able to protect by also saying like, if you want to write for some of these, like we have these requirements where right studios, you have to hire members of the WGA, right? Has there been any trends? I, I have no idea if this is like uh, open, but like with the explosion in content, how like the size of the membership of the WGA has grown? Because I imagine there is like these were probably very unfortunate thing that maybe even the studios are using up against the union, which is like, well, I'm still hiring people from your members. Like the supply is still higher. Like the demand is very high, but the supply is also very high. So I'm able to get by by hiring people for two weeks because they take the job because there are more writers than jobs. So so has, has this come up? Does the WGA have like a limit in members? Or like a certain... I might be going down a completely... Kind of I, I think this is an interesting question.
1: Path. I do not know the answer to this question. Based on the Wikipedia pages for the 2023 and 2007 WGA strikes... 2023 is listed on Wikipedia as 11,500 striking members, whereas 2007 is listed as 12,000 striking members. So, okay, I'm Smaller. not sure. Smaller. Sure. Um, I mean, part of it might be people can't th- get their WGA cards because they are writing less and there's fewer people or there's fewer jobs to go around. Uh, another thing is this is back to that kind of freshman writer scenario i was talking about a problem there is if you have people that have been writing television since the 1990s that are still working like if you are a producer at a studio who are you going to hire for the terrible day rate for your mini room are you going to hire a veteran who wrote on six seasons of the west wing are you going to hire some guy that just graduated from ucla right you're going to hire the West Wing writer that you can get for the same price. So I think the barriers to entry have increased because there are fewer high-paying jobs to go around. So people are just taking a bunch sure. of smaller jobs to make the ends meet, which is trickling down and impacting a lot of people. The so I want to stay on one other thing here real quick, which is yeah. continuing to talk about the dynamics of the strike being different. So... We talked about how, I mean, the the long and short of it is that these studios are going to be less worried about content because they have an audience that is less trained to care about brand new content at any given second. And they have spent years building up a reservoir of content. I think like it, all the COVID production delays are more or less over, and they've probably burned off everything that was produced right before COVID or during COVID. So it's... A year or two of new production at this point, but the supply they have to put out into the marketplace—they have months of runway compared to days or weeks of runway now. So that means that the uh, so the the other side is the it's uh, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers or a- a- M- P- T- AMPTP. Amp tip. Amp tipapa. Amp, tip papa. Amp, tip papa. Amp tip papa. Yeah. So they. I think they're less willing to play ball because it's like, well, we can wait. We can wait for you to not, and you can just not get paid and not work. But the thing that really, really works against everyone here is I mentioned Shonda Rhines or Ryan Murphy, right? These, these people that have overall production deals where they get paid on contract to only work with, say, Netflix. I think both of them are currently at Netflix. Yes. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. they get paid this this very high salary, essentially, to produce things for Netflix. So that's great. That's good. One that gets missing when they're, okay, are they wearing their producer hat today? Or are they wearing their writer's hat today? You go back to Step Brothers, when Adam McKay was making that. He could not offer, as director, any... Suggestions for the improv of the scenes. And also, Step Brothers was mostly improv because it was being filmed during a writer's strike, right? Like, he had to be like, I'm a producer and director here. I am not a screenwriter. I'm not allowed to touch the written word here. Ryan Murphy and Shonda Rhimes are also th- in that capacity. They are the showrunners and, which is a writer's job, but head also the pro- sure. head producers of their shows. The real issue, though, is. Under their con- contracts, the studios can claim force majeure and cancel the contracts and possibly even make them pay salaries back for breach of contract for a strike. Because their overall deal is not negotiated by the w- WGA, it is an overall deal as a production deal. It is not a writer-specific deal.
0: And are they striking? They are striking.
1: There's a very few people are crossing the picket line. I don't. I haven't heard of anyone doing that. And the picket line here means you cannot write, but you also cannot pitch. So you can't go into a studio pitch. But if somebody wants to work sure. on their, a spec script in their free time, they can.
0: Yeah. Part of my brain gets that, and that is so interesting. The other part of my brain is like, who made these deals? That uh-huh. sounds like the most basic thing that they would have thought about when they were signing this deal even if it wasn't done by the WGA, like whoever their agent was or their lawyer was, or even them, would you, be like, yeah, he's... I'm a member of the WGA and the PGA. If you want me to write, I am I need to be beholden by whatever we decide to do as writers. Like, how the hell does this get, get lost? I mean, Again, two sides all the agents
1: break. are just sal- salivating over the package fees, right? <laughs> that's the answer. It's like, yeah, let's get this through all the way and that this isn't an issue. But in 0708 his last strike okay an eight week delay is something that is significant to most of these studios and they want to get this done as quickly as possible today these studios could probably last longer than eight weeks i also this is conspiracy theory stuff right like i highly doubt netflix is going to cancel ryan murphy's contract because he's striking right they do not have enough industry power to do that they're not going to make enemies with ryan murphy but they could, and that offers an interesting point of leverage where it's completely antithetical to the strike because the people most affected by the causes of the strike are the people with the least negotiating power here. And the people with the most negotiating power are the ones who have a enforceable ticking bomb on their rep- on their income.
0: Sure. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. One last question on this has is the streaming rights and like residuals also a core part of some of these things. It is. Yes. Like really? I mean that yeah. that's okay. that's really that's thank you for bringing that up because that
1: is a core core thing here is part of the reason that it is you can't make a living wage off of being a writer is residuals are not a thing anymore. If you wrote one episode of Law and Order SVU 15 years ago, you're still probably getting a $100 check every month. If you are rating an episode of you, you're probably not getting a $100 check from Netflix every month just because they obfuscate these numbers, they've changed how this works, residuals aren't paid out. And it's the Spotify thing of, oh, well, people are listening to millions of things, so why why would they listen to your thing? That can't be true, right? Like, obfuscation in volume. But yeah, that is a huge part of this, is just people are being paid less because there's no... There's just clarity and transparency.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Wow, we'll keep we'll keep following closely. Thank you for this update. Yeah, uh, it's very fascinating to
1: follow. I think it really just shows such a sea change in the industry. From, I mean, even when we started this show of just tracking these things and, and tracking them through Hollywood, um, two other. Kind of minor things I would call out. Well, one minor, one maybe major. First minor thing is you're supposed you're not supposed to campaign for Emmys or any awards as a writer for your studio because it's considered studio activity. So Jesse Armstrong probably won't be able to campaign for a succession Emmy. He can vaguely campaign as
0: I love succession, but just not as a writer need to. of succession, right? He doesn't and he need also to. doesn't I need to. I just finished watching the latest one. I was like, yeah, these guys don't need to do anything. They can sit down and watch them roll. Um, totally. I mean, the, I
1: mean, the the big issue with uh, the Amazes this year is, okay, how does HBO campaign against itself in every category? If not, how does Succession campaign against itself in every category? Because you've got Succession, you've got Barry, you have, what else? They've got like two other things that are hitting right now. I mean, Euphoria... House of uh, Dragons. White Lotus, White Lotus. Yeah, White Lotus is the other big one. Yeah, like it's... With the exception of maybe like Yellow Jackets. Oh, The Last of Us. It's going to be a sweet... Well, that's
0: not going to win. But yeah, all of those are there. I
1: mean, Yellow Jackets is like the only thing I can think of that's got big Emmy buzz that isn't an HBO property. <laughs> so, yeah. So that that's the minor thing that's an interesting wrinkle. The more major wrinkle, though, is... It, this seems to be a fluke of the WGA's the first of these guilds to have their what's called a minimum basic agreement or MBA come up for renegotiation. There's a world in which this doesn't end. And then it does end, but then the DGA strikes or the PGA strikes or SAG strikes, right? Which apparently did you know that TikTokers are, are technically represented under SAG-AFTRA. I learned that this week. Like the biggest ones, right? Like, but if you if but you like have, officially, yes, card, you, you card can get members? a you can get a sad card. I, there are specific requirements where you could get a sad card if you are a notable enough.
0: TikToker, it's like the thing where everyone can get an AARP membership. Did you know that? I did. I found that out the other day. Or whatever. I found it
1: out from trying to get some discount somewhere. I don't remember.
0: I what mean, it we're was. all we're all hopefully going to be old one day. That, that is true. I just want to support the it's
1: retired funny. persons right now. Um, yeah, I mean, TikTok doesn't have an agreement with tip, so they're not represented under this deal, but could be. It's interesting. Like, just the ripple effects of tech and media combining really are just creating a lot of strange edge cases in the strike and will continue to do so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Very cool. Very interesting.
1: Oh, also, fiction podcasts. Uh, are also covered under the
0: wga strike so what yeah what do we what, what can we join there is no unscripted podcast association of america yeah i mean
1: maybe we should maybe we should just start pivoting and making up news every week and then we're fiction it'll be fun or we just are fox news i don't know we'll say wow well. Uh, I told I told myself I wouldn't bring it up at the end of this episode. Okay, well I have a well for you. Yay! Or not a well, a a u a. Yeah, you know that that well. An owl, A-W-A, yes. An owl. Ow. <sighs> yes. Truth. Okay. So this is completely ripped off from one of my favorite podcasts, Film Spotting. My question is: the three biggest film nerd movies this summer are ostensibly. Oppenheimer, Barbie, and Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Of those, you can only see
0: one uh, Indiana Jones.
1: <laughs> Sorry, what? A movie that looks very good. But like the like, you know, the the like the, the, the higher class ones, right? Sure. If Steven Spielberg was directing this, uh it wouldn't necessarily be higher class, but I might conclude It would be more list. prestige. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Not a guy who made a secret I could only Western, watch right? one. Yeah, if you can only watch one, never watch the others,
0: what would it be? It's definitely between Asteroid City and Oppenheimer. Like, I think I'm going to enjoy Barbie, but... Maybe the sad answer is that it's likely Oppenheimer, because even though I love Wes Anderson, for the past five or six, he's he's been... he's. I don't know if it's a mix that he's maintained the quality, or that everything is so similar, that I feel like if I don't have Asteroid City and I can still watch, you know... Uh, the Great Budapest Hotel and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna be okay. And where each of Christopher Nolan's feel like a like a thing. I watched Oppenheimer release their new trailer. The I've Wave not Guardians. seen it yet. Okay, so I I didn't know, but I was in the Dolby screen. It looks great. I'm very excited. I his first Universal pick, right? It is. Yeah. Albert Einstein, this on the trailer for like a second and a half. I've, I've seen on Twitter
1: that has become a meme for some reason. He looks fine. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch also, it. Also, uh,
0: what's this person? Oh, why am I blanking on her name? Florence Pugh? Nope. David Weir's Prada. Oh, Emily Blunt. Yeah, Emily Blunt is an Oppenheimer. Yeah, she's Mrs. Oppenheimer. I have no idea. Of uh,
1: Roberta. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um... Yeah, that was a stupid you? joke. Anyway, uh for me, it's also Oppenheimer. It's, this is this is an oh, interesting okay. question though, because it's I don't know. Op, Christopher Nolan has quietly become I mean he's he's always been this, but just He makes dad movies for millennial dads at this point, right? Like can Interstellar Dunkirk and Oppenheimer are just like a triumvirate of Nerdy dude gets way too much money to make movies that are about I don't know, destruction, death, and love, right? Like it looks great. I am so excited for it. The trailers are awesome. Um also quietly, like I am very excited for this. I'm so I'm so happy with Robert Downey Jr. and what he's done with his career oh, lately. Yeah? He looks like, yeah, he's in this. He's in this, he looks good in this. He's also like I just love that he stepped away after Avengers Endgame for the most part and is like, you know, I don't need to be doing The Judge and Doolittle. I can actually have a real movie star career, like that period where we all watched Zodiac and thought he was going to become a massive, dramatic star again. And he has this, and he also has... Have you seen the trailer for um, the adaptation of The Sympathizer that's coming to HBO next year? Um, have you? Are you familiar with the book, The Sympathizer? No. Yeah, uh, I have not read The Sympathizer. I have. It's one of those that I see at bookstores all the time. It's by Viet Tan Nguyen. It uh, won the Pulitzer yeah, yeah. in twenty sixteen. I, I can see, I can yes, picture exactly. The cover. Yeah. You can picture the cover. Uh, it's about a double agent. Uh, it blends a lot of different genres, and, and it's about the Vietnam the Vietnam War. It's supposed to be very good. But Park Chan Wook is directing all like eight episodes of an HBO miniseries adaptation, and. Robert Downey Jr. is playing, like, four characters in it. The trailer's really good-looking. Looks great. So, it's like, we're about to have a lot of Robert Downey Jr. in a way that seems great. So, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um Asteroid City. Cool. Feel the same way as you. Uh, also, just have been kind of...
0: There is another Wes Anderson movie coming in November. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know.
1: I've also just been down on the last... I-, I didn't like Isle of Dogs or French Dispatch that much. So, it's also just kind of, like, harder to get excited um even though i can also rationalize that as oh one's an anthology piece one's an animated film they're not real wes Anderson movies um yeah and I... barbie i was gonna say barbie has an 80 percent chance of being huh that's good that's interesting and a 20 percent chance of being like lego movie masterpiece right but th- i don't sure. love those odds
0: no, no, I was joking with Ariella because the the trailers were back-to-back on Guardians that everyone is joking about that double feature. I think I'm going to try to actually do the double feature. And I was also thinking we should follow up. I mean, none of them are going to be, like, humongous movies, like $2 billion movies. But what's the record for the biggest weekend box office, like, total?
1: Oh, of, like, all box offices combined?
0: Yeah, because I think I think that, like, that weekend, there's going to be a ton already, like, that is going to still be playing. Um,
1: hey, I mean, let's, let's look at the release schedule it. real quick. We'll just kind of end it after this. So, um, all right, I'm looking at the numbers. So, those movies come out July 21st. So, let's go back a month and see what inventory is going to be in theaters, okay? So, Perfect. Or let's go back to June 16th. That seems like a like some of these will stretch into it. So we have Elemental, which yes, will do Pixar is. numbers. It'll do moderate Pixar numbers. I mean, it is kind of the first one released in a theater in... Oh, I guess Lightyear was released in a theater, right? But that doesn't count. Uh, we have The Flash, <laughs> which... Who knows? Uh, who knows? Asteroid City... Harold and the Purple Crayon?
0: <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Uh, Indiana ever, Jones. It did you 30th? ever read that book? Did
1: that ever make no? it to Mexico City? It's about a kid with a magical purple crayon. It is exactly what it sounds like. Um, okay. okay. Yes, you have Indiana Jones. You have an Insidious film. You have Ooh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. A week earlier. Uh-huh. You have Mission Impossible... That's nice. Uh, Universal let Paramount have a two-week IMAX window on that before they just took every IMAX screen for Oppenheimer. That's nice. Um, Mission Impossible, Barbie, Oppenheimer. So I think between Mission Impossible, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Indiana Jones, and Elemental or The Flash, I think you are
0: spot on that this will be a killer box office weekend. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to see if it can get all the way up there because that's going to be that's going to be crazy. Well, that's great i'm excited it's gonna be a wild few months at the movies it's gonna be good cool yeah well that's a great uh thank you for switching it up so that we could end up in a non downer we ended up in a great in a great note and uh we love movies yay yay all right well until
1: Close. then catch you guys next week bye everyone